0: Thank you for downloading Fearless in Devotion, a podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices
1: to the anthem. Marching by, like our mighty army,
0: Wrexham is the name. Choice on all to Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham AFC podcast sponsored, of course, by the Fat Boar. Wow. What a difference a week makes. Andy Gilpin, you have seen Wrexham score 11 goals this week. How do you feel?
2: I feel like um, I've watched... Or I've, I've actually so seen them score 11 goals because usually I'm in the toilet or trying to get a, a burger or something. I watched <laughs> every single one of those goals. and And fair play. And fair play. I mean, I think... <sighs> I think the team has evolved a little bit into a team that if it goes, it gets in front, can pick off teams on, on the counter-attack. I still think we missed that control in midfield. I still think if we're behind by one, you know, by one or two goals or we need to, you know, we really need to take the game to a, to a team that are sitting back, we may still struggle. But at the moment, if we go ahead, teams come at us, we can pick them off. And that was evident at Aldershot, and it was certainly evident at King's Lynn.
0: So you saw them all really quickly. Which was
2: the best goal of the 11? Oh, definitely that Ponticelli one, the, uh, the first one in, in Aldershot. Great play by James Jones. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a good game. He really did have a good game. I thought that was the best game he'd had as a Wrexham player, and I thought
0: this could be him kicking on now. And we all thought it's only old shot, but they went and beat Grimsby yesterday. So you know you can't take any points for granted in this league. Anyway, let's go positives and negatives again. Tim, give me your one positive from this week, even though there's obviously more than one. Back to back wins for the first
1: time this season. Long may it continue. Here, here, Liam.
3: Uh, I knew it must have been positive because Barry Horn of all people compared Paul Mullin to Pele. During the uh, commentary on Saturday. So, for those words to come out of Barry's mouth,
0: you know, that's got to be good. (laughs) That's saying something. Mine will be uh, team contribution to the goals. Uh, Five different scorers on Tuesday. And if I'm right, six different scorers on Saturday against King's Lynn. You know, you are right. uh, uh, That is a really good sign. We're not depending on Mullen to score four in these games. Uh, That's great to see. However, we are Wrexham fans. Let's do a negative. Well, Andy. where's my where's my positive? oh where's your positive? Well, okay, fine. You have a positive as well. What's yours, Andy? <laughs> do
2: do do Jordan Ponticelli. <laughs> he now he's he was great in both games. He worked tirelessly. I think Mullin has given him the kick up the arse because he's come in, he's seen how well, Mullin links up with people, how he chases every lost cause and how he finishes when he gets a chance. And I actually think that's sparked up Jordan's game. I knew there was a player there. We're starting to see that there's a player
1: there. I'm a big fan of the uh, of the nursery rhyme dub version of the Jordan Ponticelli song. Give it us again because those soft tones are unbelievable. Sorry, Tim, you're breaking up. No, do it.
0: Again.
1: <laughs> Swipe. Come on, Andy.
2: Do, 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 do... Jordan Ponticelli. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Is that a nursery rhyme?
1: <laughs> I could dance to that. <laughs> it's a, no, it's just... A, it's not your usual kind of ruffian hungover... Like dog. a not it? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Andy, what was Jordan Ponticelli's goal like yesterday?
2: Um, look, he just ran his socks off and he absolutely robbed someone and then just put it in. So, That's, you know, I'll lovely. take that. its It's not a barnstormer like he scored against Aldershot, but I'll take that. I want him to score different goals. Yeah.
0: Right. As I was saying, we are Wrexham fans. Negatives. Tim, any negatives? Uh, Rob Layton is made of glass.
1: That's the it. point. I mean, he's, he's he's forever getting knocked out, which, which is, is sheer bad luck, but it's testament to his bravery as a goalkeeper, which makes him the best in the division. However... Yeah, hopefully he's used to bad luck and he's back in the team for Saturday. Liam, negative. I think there's still an element of chaos
3: on occasions in the defence. Um, sounded like at least one of their goals yesterday was a bit chaotic. Um, there was also a bit of a mix-up between Dibble and Hayden, which Hayden ultimately sorted out himself. But also just on the negative side... Count Dracula, Stephen Cleave writing his bitter, little, twisted program notes before he finally got slayed.
1: That's two negatives. That means we've got to go right round the hours. Oh no, no.
0: (laughs) My negative maybe would be similar to yours, Liam. Two goals against Kings Lynn, not ideal. But we're nitpicking here. We've scored eleven. We can afford to concede two. So fantastic week. Long may it continue. Um, but before we go on, oh, I don't get my negative. All right, okay, fair enough. Oh, i missed you again. <laughs> Sorry, that is like a shitty
1: battery. No positive. No negative. <laughs> it, it again,
0: hold on, Andy. What's your negative?
2: Um, I I don't know if he's still searching for fitness, but Lee, Luke Young had a poor first half against Kings Lynn. He came better in the second half when there was more space because Kings Lynn were forcing the issue. I mean, he has. I don't think he scored yet this season, so. Yeah, you know, he was our player of the season. He's still got lots of quality. It will it will come right for
1: him, but I think he's still scratching around for form at the moment. And you've just called him Leek Young, which is the Welsh version of our intrepid midfielder. So we should definitely keep that in. It- I
2: usually call him Scott Young, so don't worry about that.
0: <laughs> it's better than Dion Argos, so that's fine. Argos, as we go. Yeah. Anyway, before we move on. <gasps> Yes, it's the email klaxon. We're on a roll, guys. Two emails in two weeks. Unbelievable scenes. The servers are nearly down at feelers in Devotion Towers. Hello, all. First of all, the podcast is fantastic. Some great interviews and enjoying your shite heroes. Thank you very much for that. Uh, He says, I've emailed the club three times, contacted them through the web page form twice and constantly messaged on Twitter and Facebook the simple question, can you tell the fans why print at home tickets are no more? The journey before match day or prior to kickoff is a major, hindrance for many fans but it seems it's a question with no answer I know you've talked about this before on the podcast but I wonder if the might of feel in devotion can find an answer crikey dear lads uh, I'm not sure you're going to get very far there mate but uh, that was from Neil Smith any thoughts are we are consumer po- rights podcast now I feel like we're
3: there was a CBBC programme called short change and it feels like that very much Um, but uh, no I, I seem to think at the start of the season they were supposed to have got new scanners in which would Specifically to um you know to scan off your phone I think um and I don't think we've got any sort of answer as to what happened there. Right,
2: let's just say what happened with Kings Lynn yesterday. I mean it's it's a much slated club. It's a club that is well below us in terms of commercial opportunities and and actual professionalism. But I bought my ticket on Friday. It came straight to me on email. I took it to the ground yesterday. Someone scanned it on their phone and I was in, and it was actually really, really
1: seamless. Same as Maidenhead. I mean, it sounds like a bit of a, based on what Andy said, it's a fairly fluid operation that should be implemented fairly straightforward. I mean, you know, the same with, with Wales yesterday. I mean, usually it takes forever to get into the Cardiff City Stadium for an international game and we had to show our COVID pass yesterday and the way they sorted out, there was long queues, but I was in quicker than I've ever been before. Yes, I was earlier, but there's a quick pat down and it was, you know, the, the barcode's on your phone and, you know, you just scan it and you go. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know why we're, why we're slightly behind on it, but hopefully it's something that will be rectified sooner rather than
0: later. Well, and I suppose if the new owners want to uh, broaden our appeal throughout North and maybe even Mid Wales and along the marches, you're going to have people who live further away from Wrexham and it is a bit of a pain to have to pick up your tickets from the club shop but perhaps it can be something that can be rectified for next season Um, we shall see however it's now time for this week's interview and it really is a fantastic listen Liam and Andy had a brilliant chat with Neil Roberts who spoke extremely candidly about his two spells with the town and also his um, battles uh, with uh, some mental health problems let's have a listen to that
3: OK, so today's guest is a homegrown hero. Born and bred in Wrexham, this striker came up through the club's youth system and did his first professional contract in the summer of 1996. A strong and lively striker, he made his debut the following year, scoring two goals and a two-all draw away at Carlisle in his first full league appearance. He later earned the first of his four Wales caps under Mark Hughes in a game against Switzerland at the racecourse. It's therefore perhaps unsurprising that his talent soon drew the attention of Wigan Athletic, and he signed for them for a not-to-be-sniffed-up fee of £450,000 in the year 2000. He scored 19 goals for the Latics in 64 appearances and also played for Doncaster before rejoining his hometown club in 2006. Made a decent start to the season, scoring in a win against our evil rivals, Chester, (laughs) and a League Cup victory against Sheffield Wednesday. I think it's fair to say his second spell was was fairly plagued by injuries, but he always gave it his all when he pulled on the red shirt and no one would have been hurting more when we fell through the trap door into the conference in 2008. I am, of course, talking about local lad Neil Roberts. Neil, welcome to the podcast.
4: Thank you. Thank you both for having me.
3: Um, how did you, your time at Ruxham first start? You came, So when did you join the youth system at first?
4: Um, well, I, well, I was re- really fortunate enough to live in local to be able to... Uh, to be able to get to training within five minutes because I was born and uh, brought up in uh, in Garden Village played for the local team there and it was at the younger age groups that I was uh, that I was asked to join up with Wrexham. and I think it was probably about under 11 the first time that I went into training um and we used to train um literally it was either on the car park uh, at the front of the uh at the front of the stand or it was uh, over on the college pitches um over the fence um so yeah i've got really fond memories so i was you know again homegrown It's all i ever wanted to do was play for my uh, play for the hometown
3: yeah so that must have been the days before colliers then if you were training on the uh, on the car park
1: yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah so um so who who was sort of your main influence at the time? Was Joey involved in the um in the setup then?
4: Yeah, with Joey. I mean, Joey was always around, and uh, I think the the good thing for me was that I I came through the local leagues uh, playing against not with but his son Darren. So um, I'd always kind of seen Joey on the sidelines at certain games where he was able to be there, um, and then yeah, fortunately. Coming through, Joey. In the younger years, it was more so uh, the likes of Cliff Sear um, and a gentleman called Mike Buxton, who used to run the uh, who used to run the centre of excellence as it was then. Um, and then, obviously, in the later years, was when um, the likes of obviously Brian Flynn, Kevin Reeves, Joey, and uh, and Brad Brandle were more involved with me.
2: When you when you go through sort of like famous brothers who played for for Wrexham, obviously yeah. you, you you and Steve are, are, are the are the ones that comes to mind straight away. Did you all, did you always know you were better than everyone else? Just that, like like, the, the, like sort of school level.
4: No, no. Do you know what I think? Um, and it's not just me being sort of uh, um, trying to placate it a little bit. It's mm. it is I I was very much. Um, I was part of a very good year group in terms of my school year. Um, so there were players in and around me that, that I always felt were better than what I was. I think, um, I think my, um, my attitude was always very much about, I needed to work harder. Um, I needed to, I needed to run longer. I needed to do all these things and, um, and try and give myself the best, op- best opportunity uh, possible. So, um, no not for one minute did i ever think that um think that i was better than anyone else uh, probably the opposite in in fairness and uh, mm. i just made sure that i made the most of what what ability i had in many ways
2: yeah and, and we sort of touched on on your start it was a blistering start wasn't it two goals on your debut i think you got another did you get another yeah. was it something like 5 in 4
4: yeah it was yeah i think um you know it was Especially, especially for me at that point, it was, um, you know, it came as very much a shock to be in the in the starting lineup. There was a lot of really good players in front of me at that time, um, and and again, you know, we brought in a lone player as a set of forward in Ray Kelly came in from Manchester City. Um, so, uh, so in many ways, I was quite a way down the pecking order. But you know, thankfully, I think again it comes back to. Literally, what I said before is that hard work and kind of effort that that I was putting in every day on the training ground, and uh, you know, fortunately for me, um, it paid off. I got my opportunity, and I I kind of grabbed it with both hands, so to speak.
2: I mean, that sort of record for a youngster would would make a lot of people stand up and take notice. Did you sort of did you see much hype around that, that like people coming to watch you? Because obviously, a, a lad coming straight into the team and scoring that amount of goals people are going to be alerted to that.
4: Yeah I think there was obviously you know the usual um, kind of the evening leader sort of ran (laughs) stories and local boy made good etc and you know it it, it was really nice I remember it and you know kind of moment you know made my family proud and things like that but I was always really focused I was never kind of even thinking about what might be, so to speak, and um, you know, all I was interested was uh, was getting the next game under my belt and and trying to stay in and around the squad, um, because I knew that you know Cal Conley at the time was injured, who's one of the you know one of if not one of the best players that's played for Wrexham in my eyes, and um, you know to try and keep him out of the team wouldn't have been easy Uh, you had Dean Spink in there experienced centre forward and then like I said before you had the likes of Ray Kelly coming in on loan and you know I was uh, I saw myself as uh, as being an important part of the squad but not not a kind of first choice in many ways
2: I mean that that period, your first period, 94 to 2000, I think it was. For many, it's, it's like a golden period, certainly the one I can sort of remember. Yeah. I mean, Brian Flynn had moulded that that team. He was working mm. a lot with the youth, but also yeah, we yeah. had, you know, the cup runs coming through. I mean, just looking at it, though, I mean, 75 games in six years. Do you think you, you played enough back then? Or was it what you said earlier that, you know, you're just trying to get into a team with a lot of good players in and around?
4: Um, well, to be fair, I, I kind of, um, you know, I think if we go back to like 94, then that was the likes of Steve walking and, you know, right. I, I think Benno was, Benno was still playing then. So I would have been 16, 17, you know, kind of coming through my scholarship years. So, so I don't really class those years as being missed years, so to speak, yeah. um, Yes, I wish I'd played more games, um, but I think um, I think what what I did sort of do was was kind of I came into the side as one of probably three youngsters at the time. So there was Mark McGregor, who was a year older than myself, um, mm-hmm. and then there was Neil Wainwright. So so kind of I was one of those three that that were given the opportunity, and I think. I think the, the one thing that I always remember and it sticks with me is that is that the senior pros accepted me um, and, and, and the reason for that and Peter Ward used to tell me, you know, every single day in training was was kind of make sure you make the most of your opportunity and, and the chance you've been given um, and, and in, in many ways, you know, they really, really looked after me, the senior pros, the likes of Kevin Russell, you know, Peter Ward, Dean Spink, uh, Tony Humes, Brian Carey, Phil Hardy. You know, I was really fortunate to be in a squad that had so many good pros: Wayne Phillips, Gareth Owen. Um, that that kind of uh, made sure that it was a lot. It was a lot easier coming into that team. Uh, if it had been a really young side, then I'm not so sure whether I would have kind of made the progress that I did. If I, if I'm totally honest.
2: Right, it's interesting. Um, I mean, we've sort of touched on it, but Brian really put a lot of emphasis on the youth, didn't it? I mean, from, from what you were yeah. saying earlier about you were training on a car park to within a couple of years yeah. getting Colliers Park. I mean, how how yeah. how do you think he really managed to mould that club into into? Into the, I mean, it wasn't a centre of excellence, was it? it? Was it? was the FA Academy, and is that sort of so, sort of thing that you look at now and what you're doing, and sort of sort of think, oh wow, you know, it's this is this is how you build a, a club from the bottom up.
4: Yeah, I think um, I think as far as Brian Brian Flynn's concerned, he he kind of turned it turned it on its head from what I knew it as, as a young boy. Um, you know, he, he was very, very open and honest about the fact that we had to produce our own players. And, you know, before, you know, before my time there, the likes of Gareth and Wayne, um, Lee Jones, um, Steve Watkin, all Jonathan Cross, Dave Brammer, all these players that came through, um, it, it wasn't a secret that that's what he wanted to do. Um, and then what he was really, really good at was blending those young local players with perhaps your experienced players, whether that be lone players or, or new signings, the likes of Tony Humes. And then Tony playing alongside, maybe he's a Dave that came through and helped him along. Or, you know, my younger, like when Steven came through, Brian Carey brought him through and, I think I think that was that was probably the magic dust, if you like, that that Flynney had is that he, he managed to get enough of these talented youngsters through, and then every maybe two years there was always one that was sold. So it yeah. was Brian Hughes, it was Dave Brammer, it was Neil Wainwright, it was myself. So um, and and then there was there was obviously. You know that that came back in that money came back into the team and and they were able to kind of not all of it obviously but they were able to do things that um, they wanted to do from an infrastructure point of view uh, Colliers Park and 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 the uh, the price Griffith stand as it as it is now you know or it, it was so um, yeah I think it's um, I think it's testament to Brian Flynn really and you know and the likes of Joey and Kevin Reeves that they put in the hours to actually um recruit better players at the youth level. Um and then once we were in the building those players, then there was a really clear objective to, to get into the first team, which um you know it's there's not many clubs that actually maybe's maybes are allowed that time as well. I think, mm-hmm. I think Brian in fairness was given uh was given a real you know, good opportunity to make that happen, and and he did it. He he, he did it kind of uh, excellently, really.
2: Yeah, it was, good. It was a good access, uh, little access there, wasn't he? Obviously, know. you know, you've got Bry, you've got Kevin Reeves, who's probably the nicest man in football. But I think Price Griffiths yeah. played probably a good, uh, you know, played played a decent role in all that as well, letting Brian do what he wanted to do to you know to to his club basically.
4: Yeah, well, I think um, that comes back, doesn't it? To um, you know, are, are you employing a manager or a coach? And I think I think Brian Flynn was definitely a manager. Um, don't get me wrong; he still he still took sessions and whatnot on the grass, but he also knew what was going on within the academy. He also knew what was going on at boardroom level and uh, and sort of as much as he needed to, so to speak. So, so I think. Um, he was just—he was just one of those people that was, you know, he'd, he'd been there himself, obviously having, you know, been and played at the highest level, you know. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think Brian, you know, is, is somebody that, me personally, I know a lot of the lads do hold him in the highest regard in terms of giving us the opportunity. And you know, I, I'll never forget, you know, certain meetings that I had with him along my journey. Um, when I was when I was a young man at sixteen, when I got my apprenticeship, he told me that I would captain Wales at some point, and I did at under nineteen level. And you know, it, it's kind of it's really interesting, and it's a little bit of that sort of psyche side of things as well with uh, with what he was really good at. And this was before anybody started speaking about you know how managers are able to do that with players, and uh, he was he was doing it years ago, you know, so. It's um, yeah. It's, uh, he was he was he was well, you know, well well ahead of the game, so to speak.
2: No, I mean that's that's interesting, isn't it? So sort of like just saying you're Captain Wales, just giving you that little that little push, just giving you the, the, the idea that you could do this. Now you have to go out and
4: yeah, and, and yeah, achieve. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and one of the things he did say as well is there'll be bumps in the road, and as there are with all careers, it's um you know it's never plain it's never plain sailing, and you know I um, I kind of grabbed it with both hands, but but there were times where you know throughout my career, especially at Wrexham, that that I kind of I did question um, where I was going, and and again. Um, you know, I went out on loan to Bangor City when I was like a second year scholar um, and that probably was the catalyst for a lot of my good fortune because I went there and it really opened my eyes as to what or, or how far off I was becoming a professional footballer. Oh,
2: interesting. Um Going towards sort of the end of it, um, so your six six seasons there, you obviously say that the first season was a bit of you sort of adjusting coming into the team. Um, When would the the sort of, I won't say rumours, but when did the sort of idea came that that there might be a move on the cards? And I think, as Liam said earlier, it was a big fee, wasn't it?
4: (laughs) Yeah, it was it, it was a big fee at that time and um a big again you know I, I i'm i've been privy since to how it all materialized and and so on and so forth but um you know Wigan were Wigan were interested in Kyle Connolly. so they came to watch um they came to watch Kyle a number of times and then when i got in the team um it was the, it was john Benson who was the manager at the time x-man city at Wigan um and he came to the game with brendan O'Connell um, unfortunately, John's no longer with us, but uh, but Brendan I still speak to regularly. Um and, and and he had he he had told me how it all materialized and he said they'd gone to this one game that I played in, and I think it was Wick, I'm sure it was Wickham away or or a fixture like that in London. Um and he just said that um they felt that that I would give them um something completely different to what they had already. Um and obviously, everyone talks about Wigan back in the back in the day in terms of they were kind of the new money, weren't they? Sort of thing that they were. Dave Whelan was was spending quite a bit on players, etc. And um, they just felt that that I would be, you know, one of the pieces of that puzzle. And uh, you know, obviously, that that came about as a surprise to me. In fairness, because Flinnie rang me, we had a game that night in the Welsh Cup, and he rang me in the afternoon. I was at home. Um kind of pre-match and waiting around for to meet with the team. And he just rang me and asked if he could see me. So um I thought I was in trouble. I thought, oh no, what have I done? Um, so that was my immediate reaction. And then I went down to see him at Colliers and he just explained that there'd been an offer um and that the club wanted to accept it, but ultimately it would be up to me. So um I'm not uh, it didn't last long, the conversation because I was very much, well, do the club want to sell me? And he said that we need to sell you. Um, We need to, uh, we, we can't turn down the offer. So, so that kind of left me, you know, obviously didn't want to leave, but, but again, it's kind of being a a fan as well. It's like, well, you know, it's, it's a good opportunity for me and, uh, and it works for the club as well. So, it happens really quickly, really quickly.
2: It's a that's a loaded statement, isn't it? You know, uh, you don't have to leave. But by the way, uh, <laughs> by the yeah. way, can you leave? <laughs>
4: well, but yeah, and, and listen, let like, you know, I, I'm probably as honest as they come, and I'm probably too honest sometimes. But I knew, I knew where I was at in terms of my levels, and and I knew that, you know, Wrexham ultimately wouldn't. Necessarily miss me, you know. Apart from being maybe he's a local boy who's come through and made good, you know. I was realistic, and I just thought, you know, it, it's an opportunity for me now to go and maybe, um, you know, make a name for myself and and try and achieve something um, with Wigan, which 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 I absolutely loved when I went there.
3: Were you aware of the um, price tag at the time? Was it sort of splashed in the papers, or was that more something kept at boardroom level?
4: No. Um, I, I was I was aware. Um, and again, I think it's uh I think it's something that was kind of there was a few different rumors as to how it was kind of made up and instalments, etc. So it actually went to more than that, which I'm not sure is common knowledge from a Wrexham side of view, uh, fan point of view. So so there was another number attached to that based on appearances, which 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 I believe I did anyway. So um yeah, and I, you know, I, I, kind of, I kind of remember, you know, little snippets of, you know, a few people saying, "Well, it's a lot of money," you know, it's, you know, in terms for a young lad, etc., unproven, etc. But ultimately, it was at a time where those sort of figures w- were starting to be paid, you know, and and I guess if you look at it sort of in isolation, then I was a young lad that, that perhaps had, you know. Kind of come onto the scene and and done okay. I'd done well, um, and I think I think Wigan just looked at it as an opportunity to to further enhance their squad, if you like, in terms of their their uh, that their, their battle for promotion. And uh, you know what they did have was some very technically gifted players at Wigan. Um, so so I think I offered a different sort of string to the both of them, really, in that respect.
3: So is that something as a player then that you? you know, the price tag, do you think about it at all or is it, you know, more just focus on getting your head down and getting into
4: their team really? Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I remember I vividly that same night, actually play got me in the afternoon. I was in Wigan in the evening. So one of my best friends had to drive me cause I wasn't, I didn't have a car at the time. So, uh, so he drove me to Wigan and, um, yeah, they put the stadium lights on in the new stadium, the JJB, which, you know, I think had been opened by Man United the week before or something like that in a friendly game. And it was kind of, you know, it was a massive thing for somebody like myself. Um, and I think I think I kind of, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the fee around me. I think, like you said then before, is that all I was thinking was, right, okay, first thing is tomorrow meet my new teammates. So that was one thing. Um, and then the second one was, I've got to I've got to make sure I approach it in the same manner and try and break into the team. It wasn't a given by any means. And um, you know, one thing you know we had played Wigan already that season, and you know I had a running battle with a number of their players, um, and uh, they they quickly reminded me of that when I uh, when I walked into the changing room the next morning, which. You know which is a, which is an experience in itself so uh, especially being on my own so
2: I suppose that's the first you know it's not like you were you were a journeyman or anything though isn't it that's the first time you've walked into a into a change yeah. room that isn't isn't rexham's basically
4: yeah well absolutely yeah i didn't I didn't go to any clubs as a youngster other than Wrexham. um you know i there was a lot of lads, um, a lot of lads that did either go to Crewe or Shrewsbury or Chester, even at that time. Um, and then, the, you know, there were a couple of players. I'm like a younger brother. When he spent, you know, he spent a number of years at Liverpool, coming through there. And um, I, I think it was just something that I was kind of, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's more fully focused on becoming a Wrexham player first. Most and then, if I could do that, brilliant. And and then, if the opportunity came up, came up to move somewhere else, then, you know, I would do it. And um, yeah, I uh, I think it was the right time for the football club to to let me go. And I think it was the right time for me as well in many ways. You know,
2: did you uh, did you sort of uh, how many times did you play with Stephen? And did you sort of regret that you didn't spend more time on the pitch with him?
4: Stephen Stephen is one of uh, like so talented it is ridiculous from a football point of view he was he was such a good player and I think there was an element of me as well thinking do you know what it's kind of it's time for me to for me to move on and let Stephen have have his moment as well because it's always your or brother of or whatever and 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 in many ways he, he was a better player than me so I was quite happy to <laughs> I was quite happy to move on and you know, and you know, and he he did well in his own right, and uh, you know he, he he had a good career. Um, and I think um, I think yes, I do wish I'd I'd played a bit more alongside Steve uh, for Rex. Um, but we we had that opportunity, and uh, you know we have played together, and 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 in many ways nobody could take it away from you. Now it's yeah, it's a special yeah. moment for me, and uh, you know I'm super proud of him and everything that that he achieved as well.
2: Interesting, you say he's the he's the better player. No not you, you never really had a big sort of rival rivalry, rivalry did you? You're always quite supportive yeah. of each other.
4: Oh massively, yeah, massively. But but like I was one of three brothers, so I'm the middle one and um, the best player is the eldest brother, Danny, who didn't play professionally. Right. Um so he was always the better player. It's well known in Rex among among the football sort of circuits. So, so did he just
2: play <laughs> local level then? Yeah. I played yeah.
4: local level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think that's quite a, that's quite a nice thing, you know, because I, I was very much about what carried me through. And I've said this at the start is that what carried me through was attitude and application, you know, um, cause I, cause I do believe there's a lot to be said for that. And when you asked me before, if I, if I kind of, um, if I carry that into my role now, my job now, well, I do, yeah, because I don't think football's changed that much in that, you know, there is a place for it. Obviously, we need, you know, tacticians and we need technically gifted players. Um, However, what you will always need is that sort of hard work ethic attitude every day in training, making sure standards are really high. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I really do.
2: Right, great. There's a couple of features we do. One is called "Fearless in Devotion" moment, which is basically just just a moment that filled you with the most pride playing playing for Wrexham. Is there anything that sort of springs to
4: mind? Um, yeah, I think I think it's got it's got a, my um, my debut uh, my full debut against Carolina. Um It was my mum's birthday, so so I I'll never forget it. Um, I had my family in the stand, I had all my friends in the stand as well. So um, you know, it was it was unexpected. And I just think, you know, it was something that uh, that's never left me and um and again hopefully it never will that uh, um I'll always cherish that moment. I think uh I think it was just super special to to be able to, you know, wear, pull the shirt on and, and and score a couple of goals was was just even better.
2: Obviously, your first spell coincides with a with a, like a really good period in Wrexham's history. Now, when yeah. you came back, it all seems a bit of a blur, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. so many managers, so many you know, do club you, lurching you, from one crisis to the next. I mean, can you can you sort of get yeah. the bones out of it?
4: Um, do you know what I've I've probably tried to forget about a lot of it. In all <laughs> honesty, because no, because. Because I think I think I have because it's it was such a low point in my life. From every which way, there was always like you say we were lurching from one drama to the next, and um, you know we had we had we had a number of managers, but we also had so many players coming through that door. It was, mm. you know, I think we were up to squad number forty-eight at one point or something ridiculous wow. like that. And and I just I just remember. I suppose for me being local and taking my player hat off and putting my fan hat on, I think it was just, it was embarrassing in the end. Um, and it really, I, I suffered really, really quite badly from a mental perspective with it all. And, you know, I still, uh, you know, that, that's something that, you know, is fairly common knowledge amongst friends and things, but, but it really did have an effect on me for later life. Um, and I think, um, I think the first thing that I'd say is that there was just a, there was just a real sort of um, probably mismanagement more than anything. And, you know, maybe that lack of leadership, if you like, from, from up above high above, which we all know about what's gone on with the ownership, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, But then ultimately when it comes down, and this is, this is how I feel at the moment with the current squad is that, the players have to take ownership. They really do. Um, you know, you can do all the work you want during the week. And this is where I have sympathy for the managers that came in, is that if um, if the players perhaps aren't good enough, then then really you're going to suffer. And, you know, I think that's what we saw, in all honesty, is that, yes, there were injuries at key moments. And, you know, I was super excited to come back and, you know, Dennis... and. Dennis and Rooster were, and Fergie. who was one of my best friends in football. Is like, you know, they were big. They were big parts of that. me returning because I was told one thing about what was happening, and it was come and be a part of it. Um, and it obviously just never it never materialised in any way, shape or form. So, um, mm. yeah, it's um, it's a really really low point in my uh, football career, but also in my life. Uh I mean, yeah, it's.
2: I suppose you don't. You can't really, especially being a local lad, you can't really put what you know what you could do to people just being involved in in something like that because you know it's 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 bad for the club, but it's bad for the town as well, isn't it? You know the town's on a downer when when yeah. things are are going yeah, well, are going wrong like that. I mean, but if we go to the start, like you said, Dennis yeah. brought you back in again. I mean, yeah. it was a no-brainer for you to come back. Yeah.
4: Well, it was kind of. It, from a personal point of view, you know, I was living, um, I was up in Doncaster and, you know, a great little club, again, similar in many ways to how I saw Wrexham, how I saw Wigan. Doncaster were very similar in that respect, is that there was a real good hardcore group of fans, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they were going to a new training ground as well, which um, they were going into a new stadium. And, you know, that was a good move for me going there. But when uh, I got the call from uh, from Dennis, um Obviously, I knew him anyway from still coming to games and uh, and through my friendship with Kevin Russell and uh, my brother, of course. So, um, so he just explained, you know, where where they were at and what he felt they were missing or lacking. And um, he asked if I'd consider coming back. And yeah, it was it was it was it was a bit of a no brainer for me. But but again, my questions were centered around, you know, our intentions in terms of where the club was going, and it was all positive at that time. So. Yeah. Do you think
2: I don't want to say that Dennis kept anything from you? But do you think Dennis didn't have the full picture at
4: that oh, 100%. point? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Fairness, I, I since know as well for facts. So, um, you know, I still, I still speak to Dennis. Um, I'm still very close to Kev Russell. Um, so I probably know more than, than the most in that respect, but. Without going into it now, I think um, you know when when that did happen with 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 Dan and and Kev moving on, then I think you know I think I'm the same as the majority of fans when they say that you know Darren Ferguson should have been given an opportunity in terms of that sort of player manager role, uh, which he was which he was absolutely desperate for as well.
2: Yeah, it's always been the sort of the big sort of sliding doors moment around about that time, isn't it? And, you know, yeah, I mean, you say he was desperate for it. I mean, how close Mm. did it, was it ever sort of muted? Did they, could they not agree terms or did it just never get offered?
4: No, I don't think it got airtime. And if I'm totally honest, I think Fergie, um, Fergie wouldn't have fitted the bill in terms of his, um, his opinion and his forthrightness um, would have obviously seen through, I think, a lot that was going on up above. So, um, you know, he wouldn't have suffered. He wouldn't have suffered what went on ultimately. And uh, unfortunately for for Brian and Steve Weaver, they ended up picking up the can, didn't they? Which was, um, you know, in the, at, at certain points, you know, and, and then there were others as well, you know, you know your, your Brian littles are the uh, Brian little as well so so i think um yeah i think it was just um at that moment for me was probably the key moment that that the club missed an opportunity and um you know uh it's it's unfortunate it's really sad um and it it kind of it still emanates now obviously being in the position we're in
2: yeah, I know. I mean, there's a there's a school of thought that maybe they shouldn't have pulled the trigger on Dennis so so quickly in in the first place. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Talking to Keb Russell a couple of weeks ago, he's he's still a little yeah. bit. He's you know he's not. I wouldn't say bitter, but he's still you know it still ranks him a little bit that they weren't giving enough yeah. time to turn that around. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think they could have? Do you think they just needed a bit more?
4: Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, I do. I think. Um, I think it was probably it was something that didn't need to happen so quickly, and um, they definitely had the ability to to kind of turn it around. Um, And and like I said before, without repeating myself, it's you know I think it's a missed opportunity. I really do. Both keeping Dennis, and then the second option being uh, giving it Darren Ferguson. You know, who was kind of probably. Probably ready and and willing to to take that sort of step, sort of thing, at that point.
2: Yeah, and you, you sort of think that his dad wouldn't have let him fail. To be honest, <laughs> you know, they, you know, he would have, <laughs> we'd have got a lot of oh, help there.
4: We, there'd have been a few lone players coming our way. I know that for <laughs> sure. So, um, you know, it's and, and and again, Darren, Darren in his own right, he was always going to be a really good manager. He was always going to be. There was no two ways about it because just. Just his knowledge of the game and his his kind of his, his ability to man manage people, you know, it's second to none, really. So that's why he's been success successful in in everything he's done, sort of thing with Peterborough in, in particular.
2: I mean, it didn't work out for Brian Carey, not through lack of effort, because I know how much yeah. you know you loves the yeah. club and wanted yeah. wanted to do well. I mean, Brian, Brian Little's a strange one. We, 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 don't, we haven't talked about him a lot on this pod, but it seemed mm. to me that I couldn't, I can't still fathom now how it went so badly. I mean, you know, you've got an experienced manager, someone who knows the league, someone who's got contacts, someone who's got a good track record of winning yeah. things. I, I thought it was a perfect, absolutely perfect appointment, and it just didn't yeah. seem to work, did it? And can you put your finger on why that might be?
4: Um. I think that, that was the period. So obviously, he had Martin Foyle with him as well, another another lower league experienced uh, experienced player. Um, not so much coach, but he had been uh, about a little. Um, and I think, I think really, that was the point where the player turnover was just so big. It was so big. I, I you know, I just remember there being kind of. Seven or eight strikers at one point, and it, it was when I think it was when I was injured. And um, I just think we were it kind of smacked the desperation a little bit. Um, so was the recruitment good enough? I don't think so. Um, I think there was an element to that. Um, and and I think we were we were sort of constantly chasing. Uh, and Brian, you know, I played for him before, he took me to Hull on loan from Wigan. Uh, so I knew Brian anyway, um, and and I was probably one of those that thought when he came in, oh, this kind of a Brian Flynn sort of uh, experienced person I, I felt, um, but it just again didn't happen for him. And like I say, I think it was the I think it was a lot of the time. I think it was the players. I think we we massively massively uh, let him down and uh, and and the fans down, obviously. It kind of makes it, it. makes me cringe a little bit when I think back because, because again, you know, it, you know, I take no, I, I, and that's why I, I try to, I try not, not to kind of remember those days because, um, it was really a low point, um, you know, for the football club and, you know, there were a couple of glimmers of hope in there, but all they ever were were glimmers. We just didn't have enough quality in there to kind of to get ourselves away from the danger sort of thing. And, and, and ultimately we didn't learn from the previous season.
2: Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, you know, that Boston game was a, was yeah. such a great, such a great atmosphere. So good to, mm. to win it. And everyone said yeah. the same thing from, from Brian all the way down to the players, mm. to the fans, we yeah, can't yeah. let this happen again. And I know, straight away I know. And then, it happened again. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. as you say, we're, we're still, we're still struggling. From that i mean not willing to to dwell on on what was obviously quite a no, a tough part of part of your life or but what was yeah. it like to see the club finally finally go down i mean it, it's 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 a day I seared on my memory
4: yeah it was um yeah i mean for me it was just it was just horrific in many ways but um and again, you know. I'd kind of asked family to stay away and just in case. And, you know, it was kind of, I don't know, in many ways, it was like thinking, oh, I, you know, I won't be able to, I have to hide away for forever long until we get an opportunity again. But then, then obviously, you know, I was given, I was given the news literally a few days later. And, you know, its a, I've been asked about this a number of times, you know, I'm not sure how many games I played that season, but, um, it was obviously a really bad season, and I'd had conversations uh, with Brian and Martin and Brian and Brian Carey uh, about my future, and they they'd spoke about perhaps involving me in the staff and maybe becoming more of a sort of a bit part player, but doing my coaching badges and getting through. Um, How old were you that time? So then? Kind of just sorry.
2: How old were you that time? About
4: thirty-two, uh, was it maybe? Well, what was I? So what year was it? It was um, 2007, 8, 2007, 8. Yeah. So I was just coming up 30. And I, just, right, okay. I turned 30. Yeah. Mm. I turned 30. So, so it was kind of, you know, I had a couple of offers and things like that to go to Peterborough and um, uh, Rochdale had come in for me. Um, but I wanted to stay because it was always, well, I've got to get us back out. I've got to get us back out of the conference. I've got to be part of that that does it. And they'd obviously mentioned about coaching and so on and so forth. And um, yeah, um, I, I can smile about it now. However, the day I was going in to find out about my contract, I drove into Collier's and as I would do every single day, was on his tractor doing the pitches. So I would stop for a chat with him. And he just kind of, gave a passing comment, like, I can't, can't believe you've gone. Or it was something along those lines of, I'm really, and I was like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm on my way in. So, so that kind of summed it up for me. It was kind of like, you know what, it's kind of, it's come to a point where, you know, that, that one piece sort of, really really took a big piece of me that one sort of moment and it wasn't fault or anything like that it was just a case of loose lips talking about somebody's life before they actually talked to that person and i walked into the training ground i went upstairs to his office and um and i i'm glad i did it because i said to him martin and bri Carey that were in the room i said listen uh i've already been told the outcome I just want to shake your hands and wish you all the best and hope you're getting back up and, um, and literally, please don't do this to anybody else. Uh, and that was how my Wrexham career ended, which, which it, it doesn't leave, it doesn't leave me better. It just, I just hope they, they haven't done it to anybody else sort of thing in that, in that way, because that was just a, a really sort of kind of knife in the heart, so to speak, which is why, you know, it, it's got sort of added consequences for me in terms of being a local boy and, you know, finding out in that way that that was your last time you're going to play for the club you love sort of thing. So, yeah, quite quite sad, really.
3: It definitely sounds like it. Um, why was it, um, you mentioned about them talking about possibly bringing you into the club yeah. uh, play, why was it that that didn't um, transpire
4: then? To be honest with you, I think, uh, I think I was probably one of the ones that they just felt Um, that needed to move on that I probably wouldn't offer enough from a playing perspective. And could they carry another coach alongside Brian Carey, Martin Foyle, Steve Weaver, you know, Steve Cooper in the Academy, so on and so forth. They, I suppose they had enough, you know, Stuart Weber at the time was going through his badges and was working within the Academy. So, so they probably had enough sort of coaching support. So, um, I, I guess it was a decision, I don't know, but it was a decision based on my previous injury record as well, which which wouldn't have been fantastic in the previous two seasons. So, um, you know, it's a shame, but having said that, I, I kind of, you know, I, I think things happen for... And back to that sliding doors moment is that, you know, one door closes and, you know, fortunately for me, there were other opportunities that kind of that arose after that. Yeah, you ended
3: up at, uh, um, was it real? you ended up at next?
4: Yeah,
2: yeah, I, um, you know. You had I, a storming was, uh, season
3: at real.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was kind of, the shackles were off, so to speak, and, you know, I'd kind of, I'd come away from Wrexham, obviously very down, um, spent some quality time with my family, and then made the decision, do I want to, Perhaps go and sign for Peterborough, which is another three and a half hours away, and and kind of uproot the family. I had, you know, uh, at the time, uh, I had two young daughters that were in junior school, settled, um, you know, and um, and my family life was was good. So, uh, so I decided that it was probably time to look at other things, and I'd always had other interests, sort of business wise, and um, that allowed me. Um, if you like the opportunity to, to go and play at real and, and have a look at the business world um during my time there because it was part-time playing for real.
3: It wasn't bad as a sort of final hurrah to your to your playing career went though at all, was
1: it?
4: Well, it was better than how it had ended at Wrexham, so to speak. <laughs> so uh it couldn't get any worse, could it? So I think I was I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm gonna go and enjoy my time there. I had a lot of friends there, you know. That were playing, I'd played with as a kid coming through the Welsh setup, or at Wrexham, the likes of Gareth Owen, Jimmy Kelly, Gareth Wilson, um, then Danny Williams, Josh Johnson signed, and you know we went on and we had a superb season, and uh, and and kind of if you like stopped the monopoly of either Clan or TNS winning it year in year out sort of thing. So um, you know we won it, we won it uh, really convincingly. So so that was good. Can we sort of talk about what you did after that then? Because,
2: um, yeah, I, you know, about your role now with Swansea. Have you were at Man City before that, weren't you? Yeah,
4: I joined, uh, so I joined Man City in, um, September 2009. Um, so, so I mean, that was, that was something that kind of, um, massively came out of the blue. Um, but, but what it did do, it, it, it kind of, um, it meant that I didn't have that sort of uh, period of time of being out of football, so I kind of went from playing football every day to um, to working at one of the, as is now one of the biggest clubs in the world uh, behind the scenes, and you know I was really fortunate that um, that that opportunity came along at the time it did. Um, and I ended up staying there, you know, until, uh, until 2018. So I had nine years at Man City as, uh, as different roles along the way. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed every role that I did and made some fantastic friends and, and contacts and networks and so on and so forth. But yeah, I think what it did do for me is that it gave me the platform to sort of look at what's next in life. Cause as we all know, a footballer's career is, is really short. And, um, you know, for me, for me in particular, I was always conscious about life after. Um, and um, what I managed to do there was was kind of else of everything off pitch. Um, so having been a player, I kind of had a head start in many of the areas. So I became head of administration at one point, which is really, really bizarre and random because I'm, I'm still to this day not great with emails as an example. But what it was, was about managing people and, and organising and kind of being really structured in, in your approach to uh, the administration side of things, whether it's contracts, as an example. Um, and then I became head of operations, which which again uh, allowed me to dip my toe into the water with things that I'm passionate about, like like the welfare side of things with young players. You know, um, you know about exit routes when they leave clubs. You know, where do they go? What do they do? And what are they doing spare time? You know, Uh, I was able to build a department around that, the education side of things, which, which I wish I'd done more of in my school days, but you know, that was also a massive part of that process as well at city. And um, yeah, I loved it. And then what it did slowly, it gradually introduced me into the um, sort of recruit scouting and recruitment arena. So I kind of did that for a number of years at Man City and, you know that that allowed me again to experience um, maybe things that I hadn't because there was a number of foreign players, but where again it was you know dealing with families, dealing with agents and and clubs where whereby we're taking the players from. So um, that kind of brings me up until where I am today, and I've been I've been at Swansea City um, since March this year as uh, as head of national recruitment for for the academy, which. Uh, it was a fantastic opportunity for me um, it's a great club obviously um, obviously being Welsh was a big thing as well for me and in, in, in coming into the role and you know the club itself historically you know it's got it's got a great history um, you know they do things the right way it's very much a family you know local fan sort of club and um, you know I felt right at home since since the day I walked in really so it's a uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to get going again into uh, into the, that sort of recruitment world, so to speak.
2: Five quick fire questions about your two spells at Wrexham. Um, so you know whatever comes into your head. So who is the most skillful?
4: Lee Chandle.
2: He, he was different gravy, wasn't he?
4: Yeah, I didn't get him. So shall I answer that again? <laughs> Sorry? I didn't play with runs, so shall I answer that again for you?
2: I mean but no, if you've seen him if you've seen him yeah. close up. Yeah. 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 That's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Um who was the worst dressed?
4: <laughs> um Oh, it's a difficult one. Kevin Dearden.
2: Oh. <laughs> I can believe a blast that. from the past. That's a blast in the past. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, who was the biggest moaner?
4: Ah, uh, Wardy. Oh, Wardy.
2: Wardy or Not Rooster? Darren. Yeah. Interesting. Um, who was the most underrated? Which sort of play didn't really get the plaudits they deserved? Um,
4: Mark McGregor.
2: No. Yeah, most you know many would say that you know he he he. He was very well respected and, and well liked at Wrexham, but do you think there was a bit more to him than? Yeah,
4: I just, yeah, I just thought he was quality every single game and training session. It was like, like for me, he could have, you know, he could have, he could have gone, gone on and played, you know, a lot higher. I know he went, to, I know he went to Burnley, and he, you know, he, he probably didn't play as many times as he'd hoped for. But um, I just was massively sort of. Our, our always Mr. Consistent sort of thing so yeah for me Martin McGregor
2: and finally who is the tightest with money now you could set your brother up with this one if you want your door
4: <laughs> no I won't say Steve um, who was the tightest um, it'd probably be Fergie being a Scotsman no you wouldn't see him at the bar if, if, if Fergie was going to get around, in he'd give you the money to go to the bar he'd be one of them
3: I think the only other thing I want to ask on, because we just cause we haven't touched on it as much, is you know, your time playing for Wales. Cause as a fan, the sort of levels aren't there in terms of what you'd hope to do if you were a player, you know, playing for your hometown club, obviously up there, but playing for Wales as well, that must have been pretty special. How did that come about in terms of your first appearance?
4: Well, the first appearance, uh, Switzerland one, was I was I with the 21s and I played, um, I think it was the yeah, it was the night before I played uh, in um I think it was Newport and, um, and Sparky had come along to the game with Eddie um, and then they were in the changing room waiting for me afterwards just to say, we want you to join up with the squad the next day. And and it was kind of like, you know, this is the stuff of sort of dreams, isn't it? You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so I ended up going back to the team towel. Uh, I think we were staying at St. David's Park and, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was quite a real moment to be in that changing room uh, amongst all my sort of like Welsh heroes really. And uh, yeah, that was that was the start of, you know, a number of years for me being in and around the squad. And, you know, I loved every minute of it. It was, you know, it was superb, um, you know, a real honor for me to play for my country and, and something that I'll, you know, I'll always cherish, always. Yeah, definitely something special, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Thanks again to Neil for his time. Now, before we go to Andy's predictions, uh, Shite Heroes will return. Sorry for its long absence. It will return with a vengeance next week, where we're actually just going to go ahead and finish the team. Yeah. We're going we're to get our forwards done and dusted. Um, so there's,
1: there's, there's too much shite to sieve through. <laughs> problem. And
3: Andy Gilpin's scriptwriters have gone on strike this week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: means that he's really off a toilet roll.
0: Okay, the uh, prediction time uh, for the next uh, game, please. Um, Firstly, can I just say,
2: when I humorously said that I went for 2-1 Harrogate uh, last last week and didn't actually know because I was in uh, Bratislava, I actually went for 2-1 Harrogate. So I am Danny, champion of the world. Let's have a look at Older Shot. So only one person went for a win, and that person was Tim. So, Tim went for a 2-1 win. Ah. He has two points. Everyone went for a win for Kings Lynn. No one got (laughs)
0: 6-2. What were we thinking, not getting Ah. 6-2? Do you have the scores on the doors by any chance? (laughs) Uh, Again, I I, I shall work that out. Uh, So, next week, week.
2: when my my script writers come back online, (laughs) they shall also do that. Okay. I have a thousand monkeys on a thousand typewriters. They will sort that out.
0: Okay, fantastic to hear.
3: More
1: organized okay.
2: than a Wrexham
3: AFC ticketing operation.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay, let's do this week's uh, predictions. So I think we've just got Wheelstone, haven't we?
0: Yeah. Reese, do you want to go first? Okay we're on form guys we're going to win this Wheelstone no great shakes this year won't be simple of course but I think we should we should have enough to put them to the sword maybe not we've struggled at home I don't think we've scored more than one goal at home all season however we have scored a goal in every game uh, which is a wonderful stat that we learned on Twitter this week wasn't it the Wrexham did you guys see that Wrexham and Liverpool are the only two clubs to have scored in every in the English football system to have scored in every game this season um, so let's hope we can keep that up. I think we will win uh, 3-1. That's for me, Tim. I am going to go... I need to put sentiment aside because
1: I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Stones because I used to cover them back in the day. Oh, why don't you marry them then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a room, get a room. I'm going to go for 3-0, wrecks and be kind. Well, there's no sentiment there, Tim. Don't then, worry
2: about that. Leave. Step- do you want to go no. next? <laughs>
3: Well, I want us to. I think we're going to score more than one at home. I want to see some of those goals, but I'm not as optimistic as everyone else. So I'll go 2-0, Wrexham. I'm going to go 2-1, Wrexham.
2: I think we will win. But as I said before, we're a better team when we're counterattacking. I don't think Wheelstone are going to counterattack at all. So I think they're going to be difficult to break down. With our current midfield, it might be more of a slog, but I still think we'll win. Did you give us a score? Yeah, 2-1. Oh, fine, I wasn't listening. to did so. that at the start. I, I, I oh, you out. weren't listening to me. You weren't listening to my bloody prediction. Doesn't get positive, <laughs> doesn't get negative, doesn't get listened to, hasn't got his copy. <laughs> Am I even on this podcast?
1: <laughs> the final quick shout out to the Wrexham fan who brought a towel to the uh, away end at Kings Lynn over the weekend. I saw that. I saw uh, that. A towel uh, appeared from the yeah. from the side
2: and I thought Tozer had put one there earlier. No, oh, no okay. someone brought a t- Oh, as, brilliant.
1: As, as the story goes, Philadelphia Reds has put it up on Twitter, and then Super Sub Paskins Tash has said he couldn't believe his eyes. Uh, Toza runs over at the end of the first half and says, Anybody got a towel? And this lad holds a crisp white hotel, hotel towel above his head. <laughs> <laughs> That's it to Toza. The same lad even helped another guy to clean his glasses. So, Wrexham fan, who is part of Towelgate, we doff our proverbial caps team, sir.
2: Bring a towel. Every away game, bring a towel.
1: This wasn't Andy Dibble's,
2: um chewing a white towel, was it? <laughs> that that wouldn't clean anything. That was too. That was cardboard. You'd have to get a hammer to knock it into any sort of any sort of towel-like consistency. Jesus, TMI. Right.
0: I'm surprised uh, Cleve allowed that towel to be in, but uh, there we go. He did indeed. You so. have to pay twenty-one quid. <laughs> Right then, until next week, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back. Uh, FearlessInDevotion at gmail.com is the email. And uh, you can always also message the Twitter account, uh, FearlessInDevotion, of course, which is run by Tim. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Cheers,
2: everyone. See ya.